And I'm preaching or teaching through on Sunday night, 1 Corinthians, and we've come to chapter 7, which gives some advice on marriage. Now, I don't need any, really, advice on marriage myself, but um, some of you do, and it's uh, those of you that need it as to whom I'm speaking. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 25. There is this cartoon of a man standing at a busy intersection. I mean, the cars are just whistling by. And it's just enormous traffic jam. Cars are honking and nerves are frayed. And this guy's standing there getting ready to cross the interse- at the intersection getting up enough nerve. And across the way is this stop sign, you know, this stoplight, where it says walk or don't walk. And he's standing there looking at that. Instead of saying walk or don't walk, it says good luck. (laughs) I think that's the way it is with a lot of us um, in life. We come to those busy intersections And we need some advice, some help, some counsel. And so we come to the crossroads of uh, life's major decisions. And oftentimes we look for counsel and about the only help we get is just somebody kind of says, good luck. I want you to know that God never says that. I mean, He gives specific advice. He never says, you know, good luck. He just, gives, he just gives us specific advice. Now sometimes it's not what we expect to hear and oftentimes it's not what we want to hear. For example, here's a young girl who has given her life to the Lord. She's pure and she's grown up in high school and preparing to go into some kind of Christian vocation. Near the end of her high school years, she meets Mr. Wonderful. I mean, he's a charmer, but he's not a Christian. And there is no place in his plans for God. And so she comes to talk to somebody about her her, um, decision. She's at a major crossroad, and this is her rationale. I don't think that God, if he didn't plan planned for me to live the rest of my life with him, he'd have brought us together, and I'm going to go ahead and develop our relationship. I'm going to do my best to change him. And she turns to God, and this is what he says. No, there's no place for that in my plan. Or here is a man married who falls in love with the Word of God, and his wife does not join him in that commitment And he's just in love with the Word of God and he wants to serve the Lord and his wife will not walk with him. And so his rationale is, I'm going to break up this relationship. I'm going to dissolve this marriage so I can give my total life to God. And God says, no. Now I'm going to address this sermon tonight to a, I started to say to a small portion of this audience, this congregation, but it really isn't. As a matter of fact, I imagine... I imagine half the people that are here tonight are young people. And that's that's astounding, awesome, and wonderful in itself. 
But I want to speak tonight to that group of people who are unmarried, who are not married, who have not married, who have plans perhaps to be married. And it's not a small group really. I'm talking to young people, to middle school, to high school, to college, to single adults. As a matter of fact, we all need to know the principles that are involved in what I'm about to say tonight because of our help and counsel at the busy intersections and the crossroads of the lives of people we know. Now this passage, chapter, in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 deals with marriage. The first 24 verses deal with those who are married. The last passage, the last part of the passage, deals with those who are unmarried. As you see the outline, verses 25 to 35, Paul's advice to the unmarried, unmarried from verse 36 to 38, to the parents of the unmarried, and then Paul's advice to widows. So this section that we deal with is to the unmarried, and the main point of this passage is this. You can write this down. Now in, in seminary, um, they tell you that you need to be able to preach your sermon in one sentence. The thing that bothered me about that, if I preached it in one sentence, what would I do with the rest of the hour? You know. But this sermon has one main, pat, one main message, one main point, and it's this. Get this. Remaining unmarried is desirable, but it isn't demanded. That blows your mind, doesn't it? The single life is preferred. Now I started to warn my wife uh, tonight about what I was going to say just in case we needed to have a little pre-sermon discussion uh, on this. We, uh, but I just never get, did get around to it. So um, uh, you're going to have to pray for me, you know. Remaining unmarried is desirable, but it's not demanded. If you can believe this, the single life is desirable. Now that's Paul's proposition, assertion in this passage. Now he underlines or supports his assertion with four benefits of the single life. And I want us to look at these tonight together. First, is found in verses 25 through 27. Follow along as I read. Now concerning virgins, that is folks, that is people who have both male and female who have never married. Concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Now, we noticed last time that what he is not saying is, I'm going to give you my personal opinion, opinion but it's not inspired by the Lord. It, he doesn't say that. All Scripture is inspired of God. What he's saying is that when Jesus was on earth, he gave no specific instruction at this point, but by the process of revelation, it came to him later after Jesus' ascension, what Jesus' will is, what God's will is concerning this matter. That's what he means in verse 25. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. The single life is preferred 
for this reason, number one, because you will encounter less distress from a hostile world. Now I want you to put your finger there at that point. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews because he's going to give us an illustration of the distress of a hostile world. And in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, verse 35 and following, he gives us a picture of the distress of that hostile world which he lived. Read with me, follow with me, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. That was the distress that people experienced from a hostile world. And this is Paul's reasoning. This is his understanding that if you're not married, you'll not have children. And you'll not have to see your children go undergo the suffering that was imminent in that day. You'll not have to witness your wife being persecuted and experience the heartache and the agony of seeing your family rent asunder and tortured and tormented and persecuted. You'll spare yourself that agony, the distress of a hostile world. And one commentator tells about a, a woman, a Christian in that age, who had seven sons, and she witnessed the horrible death of each son, martyred because of their faith. Now he says in verse 27, if you're unmarried, don't seek a wife. Don't seek somebody, a spouse. I hate to discourage, I hate to... Uh, upset you, but uh, you know, a single, uh, don't seek to be married. Now, I, I found it very difficult to preach this sermon over at the North Fort Worth Baptist Church. Now, if you pastored a church that had a lot of seminary students, this will not preach. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, were, most of them are there to find a wife or find a husband. I mean, it is, it is open season on, uh, on single women and single men on Seminary Hill. This, this will have a hard time preaching there. Now, let me tell you what he's saying. Now, watch this. Young people, in all, with all seriousness, this is what he's saying. Don't seek a spouse. You seek the Lord and let the Lord seek the spouse. Now, if you ever have any kind of advice to give anybody single, that's the best advice at the busy intersection crossroads. You seek the Lord, and you let Him seek the spouse. Now you say, oh yeah, you can say that. You're married. You've been married all your life. I've heard all that stuff at these single adult retreats all my life. That won't work. The scripture says, wait upon the Lord. You know what that word means? It means to, 
to wrap yourself around one who is strong and thus find a strength you've never known. You wait upon the Lord. You seek the Lord. You let the object of your affection and energy be on the Lord. And when the Lord gets ready for you, a spouse, He'll put one in your life. Believe that with all my heart. Didn't hear a single amen, so I must be uh, slightly out of, out, of, out of vote. Second benefit. Verse 28, but if you should marry, you have not sinned. Now let me pause to say parenthetically, if there is no ground for remarriage, who in the world is he talking to there? Now there are some folks who, who have no place at all in their theology for remarriage. When you get separated, divorced, when, you, uh, when, when there's been a failure in your marriage, there's no place in the theology of some for remarriage. If that's the case, who's he talking to there? He said, don't seek a wife, but if you get married, then you've not sinned. Now follow with me, verse 28. And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. That is one who's never been married. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Second benefit, you will experience less difficulty on a personal basis. You will experience less difficulty on a personal basis. You won't have to encounter some personal problems if you remain single. Now, a single person's going to say, what could be worse than living your whole life single? The only thing that could be worse than living your whole life single is to live your life with the wrong person. That's a lot worse. Eugenia Price, the great author, said that she receives hundreds of letters every week and she said, I'm quoting now, most of the problem letters I receive are from married folks. Then she says, quote, that's the more difficult role. Clyde Naramore says, success in life is not finding that one person who will make you happy. Success is escaping the hundreds that will make you miserable. I say amen to that. Of the myriads of people who come into a pastor's office in his lifetime of ministry, for every one single person who comes in with heartache and agony and problems, for every one single person, there must be 30 married folks who come in with problems and heartaches. It saves you some personal problems. Now what are the problems it saves? It saves some problems with regard to adjustment. It saves some problems with regard to conflict and disagreement. Second benefit, experience less difficulty on a personal basis. Third benefit. Now what I'm trying to do is convince you that you're all right, it's okay. Third benefit is verses 21, 29 through 31. Follow as I read. But this I say, brethren, that the time has been shortened. Now I want to say right quickly that the best way to understand this verse is to catch the first part of verse 29 and the last part of verse 31. So I want to read those two parts together. 
But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. The farm of this world is passing away. And that's what he's describing or illustrating in the verses in the middle there. The time is short and the world is passing away. You don't have much time to serve God. And the benefit, he is saying, in the single life is this. You have less distraction you can expect less distraction in the time you need to spend on your marriage or in your ministry. Now, when you compare the amount of time that we have with with eternity, it's it's just an instant, really. Somebody has illustrated what eternity is like. He said, if you took a ball of steel the size of this earth, And every million years you brought a feather by just to brush it. The time it would take to to erode that ball of steel to the size of a BB is a a second in eternity. That's pretty awesome. When you take the time that we have on this earth to spend and you compare it with eternity, it's just a minute thing. You can't even compare that. Now what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, that if you're a child of God, you have your eye on eternity and you expect any moment the Lord's return and the cessation of life as we know it and you don't have time to spend except on ministry. Now I know the argument that we have when we're single. Look at all I'm missing in life. Look at all the fun I'm missing. Look at all the relationships I'm missing. Look at all the the intimacy I've never experienced. And yet, the other side of that is, 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 is what could you do in ministry if you were single? Just think of all the things you can do in ministry as a single person. Now, have you noticed, have you caught on that the Apostle Paul is assuming that every Christian is selling out to God Now, I mean, this doesn't preach, this doesn't work with nominal Christianity at all. But he's assuming, and I think he has the right to assume, that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to go all the way with him. As a matter of fact, he said, if you don't, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And he's saying this, that that the benefit of being single is you have all this extra time, this time to serve God that you would not have, that you'd have to spend in your marriage. Fourth benefit, verses 32 through 35. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly, what is of value, and to secure undistracted devotion to God. That's what he wanted out of his out of his people, undistracted devotion. So, benefit number four. There's less distractions in your vertical relationship. Less distractions in your vertical relationship. I mean you have more time that you can spend with God, intimate time with Him. Some of you have heard Paula Carson give her testimony. Paula Carson 
makes a statement. She said, marriage is, between, is, is not between me and some fella. Marriage is between God and me. And then Paula Carlson said, you know, sometimes I think that if I were to marry, something might happen between that beautiful relationship between God and me. Now the application. There's two applications that I want to point out to the unmarried and then to the married. To the unmarried, two words. First is reverse. Reverse. Can I say something tonight that I really feel in, deep in my heart? All the energy that we spend growing up, trying to, you know, trying to get uh, a girl or a fella, you know, trying to, trying to be accepted and popular, try, trying to be, to have dates and go steady and all those things. Tremendous amount of energy and, and, and attention and concentration and devotion to that. Reverse that. This is just a suggestion. Try this. Reverse and spend that energy on the vertical relationship with God and see what happens. You know, it would be amazing tonight what would happen, what would develop in the life of our middle school, high school, college, and single adult departments if we would just take the energy that we spend on trying to develop a relationship on a horizontal basis and maintain that relationship and just spend that time and energy developing a vertical relationship. It would astound us what would happen. Reverse. Second word, relax. R relax. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, the wheels are turning over in this section over here. I, I can hear it. I hear them say, listen at that guy. I mean, it, it's so easy for him to say. Yeah, it really is most beautiful testimony I've ever heard in my life. I've, I've shared it before here. It, it's, it's the greatest. I was in on it. I was there. This girl who so very much wanted to be married. She, and she was a devoted Christian girl. She wanted to be married. Uh, marriage for her was the, was the goal of her life. She wanted that. And, and you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And she spent two years as a journeyman in, in Africa, and she came back home and, and, and finished the seminary and, and was uh, considering the call to, to the mission field permanently. And she told me, she said, I, I know that if I commit myself to that call to the mission field, I, I'll probably go over there and I'll never marry. And marriage is so important to me. She spent a summer up here at Camp Nunny Chaha working with GAs, and came back to my church in Fort Worth on a Sunday night, came down the aisle of my church and said, I give, I've given my life to Christ, to missions, for the rest of my life. And I talked to her after the service. I knew her personally. Her mother was my secretary in Seminole, Texas. Now, she went off on a, on a she, she went with her, some of her seminary friends to Alabama in a car load of kids down to, to a wedding in Alabama the next week. 
And the next Sunday, she and Don Walker, some of you know him, came into my office on Sunday night, and that's two weeks past, to tell me they were going to get married. I didn't even know they'd gone to get, they, they never had a date, not a single date. But on the way to Alabama, he was in the car with them, on the way down there, on the way back, they fell in love and decided to get married. And I said, well, holy cow. I said, what, what is this? And, 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 and this is what we concluded there in that little conference, that little, that little, pre, that little session, that when she was willing to relax in the will of God, God gave her the desire of her heart. Isn't that what the psalmist says? That if we just relax in the will of God, He gives us the desire of our heart. Now you say, well, let me try that tonight. I'll try that tonight. Next week I'll be engaged. No, no, no. <laughs> to the married, two things. You are married and you need to invest your time and your energy in that marriage. I heard a preacher say one time, and I believe it's totally, is, is absolutely the truth. The, my great responsibility, my first responsibility is to my family. Now I know it's easy to neglect marriage and the home and, and, and in the, in the family. I know that. I'm, I, I struggle with that myself. I'm saying this to myself as to, as to you. If God has brought you together in marriage, you need to give everything you've got to make that marriage what God wants it to be. It's as, as important as any ministry you'll ever have. And I suppose that we neglect our marriage, our family first. It's the most important thing. Secondly, everything you do in your marriage should be governed by your relationship to God. pray together. Father, it is amazing to us that we find such so many new truths from your word that helps us right where we are. And Lord, we're all, we, we, we've all come to this intersection, to this, to this crossroads. And we've sought advice from others and counsel. We've not found a lot of help. We thank you for this word tonight that will help us in our commitments and decisions. God, I pray you'll strengthen us in your word. Help us to wrap ourselves around strength and find strength that we've never known before in Jesus' name. Now I'd like to offer an opportunity for you to make some decisions publicly tonight first decision is for you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There are some who have done that in the past, and this is their witness tonight, these, this beautiful baptism. You know what they're doing? They're saying to you, I want you to know that I've trusted in His death and burial and resurrection to take away my sin, to give me a new life, like being raised from the dead. 
Wouldn't you like that for yourself? Would you like to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? You can walk with Him, and, and it doesn't matter if you have no relationship with anybody else in the world as long as you're walking with the Lord. He's always there. Would you like to come tonight to join our church? We'd love for you too. I don't think you'll find more loving church, a more committed fellowship than you'll find. You'll not find people like this too many places. Come and join us. Come and be a part of us. Or perhaps you just are struggling with some things for which you need prayer. And we can pray together here at the altar. You just come and kneel. You may not even need to talk to a pastor, a minister. I sure hope that you'll come if God kind of prompts your heart while we stand. And, and are led in song, you come.